0: listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Searching. Stubborn. Sentient. Christina Warren is a musician based in Providence. Inspired by the unique intersections of noise and listening, Warren's work takes many forms, including electronic vocal performance, novel analog and digital instruments, and compositions for and with chamber ensembles. Her work has been programmed nationally and internationally. Upcoming events include the AWMAT conference in Santa Barbara and the New York City Electroacoustic Improvisation Summit in Brooklyn, both in February 2018. Warren is currently a visiting assistant professor of electronic music and multimedia at Brown University. Well, thanks for doing this, Christina
1: thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah., um, so we're going to talk about three of your pieces today. And the first piece we're just gonna to listen to an excerpt of. Um, but it it the piece kind of speaks to your uh, a kind of broad set of activities you've been engaged in pretty recently, right? This work for voice and electronics.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so I think of this as compositional and performative and improvisational work. I use, um, I often max, sometimes PD, some kind of controller, something I've made or, or um, uh, you know, something someone else has made. Um, so in this case, I use just a Korg running a max patch um, in what you'll hear.
0: So this piece is called Espace de... S- uh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> I've got it. Espace de Ars Sans Frontières.
1: Yes, that was the venue, yeah
0: yeah so um, what say, say again what you're using to to make this piece
1: so I'm vocalizing live and that's um, I would call it improvisational although there's maybe a composed element in the sense that I um, you know, have this bank of techniques that I use and I'm used to, um, that's going into max and being processed. There's also some synthesis. So just, um, in parallel to the vocal treatment, um, and there's just a MIDI controller, a core of nano control too.
0: So I was, I was doing a little reading. Uh, I've read your, your two papers about this. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That you did for ICMC and, and, and something else, but, um, because this you know this this piece is kind of analogous uh, in a way to some of your other works, I, I kind of wanted to talk about the work you've done that uh, uses the the abacus. yes. so what is the abacus?
1: The Abacus is an Arduino on a mic clip, basically. That's the shortest version. It's an Arduino Teensy um, and some physical control components. In the most recent version, there's eight toggle switches. Um, Let's see, there's a button an LED, oh, and there's four potentiometers. And all of that is affixed right onto the mic clip in this really tight little area, um, and it's stuck on there using thermoplastic. So it's a controller right on the microphone, basically. Um, And this means that while performing with voice and laptop, I don't have to go back and forth on stage between the microphone and the controller um, I had to do that in my early performances, and I found that really kind of choreographically awkward. Um, so I wanted control right there, um, and also I was really getting into the tiny little sounds of voice and mouth, like you know, this little stuff. Um, and I wanted like small hand gestures right by the mouth to complement the small sounds of mouth, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of times those those small sound those small sounds that are produced and those small gestures result in pretty, pretty big textures that we're hearing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I love granulation. I usually do kind of several steps of it and several types, um, be it um, synchronous. I, I Pulsar granulation is my favorite. little shout out. Um, <laughs>
0: what up, Pulsar?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and a uh, little nerdy music technology joke. There. <laughs> um, but But I do it multiply. There are usually like 16 voices happening at a time. And that kind of boils down into a choir of four. And I've in my patch, I've set that so it kind of all happens instantaneously. So you're exactly right. One little sound turns into like a huge cloud potentially of resultant sound.
0: Um, for some of your other voice and electronics pieces, I saw that you, you know, you had kind of developed these modules and Macs, um, and you called them uh Grain and Glitch Vox. Are you using those in this piece?
1: Yeah, I'm using Rhythmic Grand, um on the way to Pulsar. Um, so basically, I like really um, glitchy, kind of digital noise type timbres. So I'll turn, basically, it's a um, like synchronous rhythmic type granulation. And I'll turn that tempo up to like 800 beats per minute sometimes. Um, so you kind of necessarily get like little clicks and it's not, it's almost like not even rhythmic anymore, but yeah, I, or, I, or it can be rhythmic. So yes, I do. Long, long story short.
0: <laughs> so you kind of, you kind of mentioned uh, a little bit before, but you use voice and sounds from mouth in pretty much all their possibilities. And we're only going to hear a a short excerpt of this piece. How long is this piece in total?
1: 15 minutes, I think.
0: So we're going to hear Um, about a third of it. And and in this piece and your other pieces for Voice Electronics, how composed are these pieces or how improvised are these pieces?
1: It's a great question. I think basically I... I locate the composition in the patch mm-hmm. um, and because it kind of tells me what I can and cannot do in live performance, um, kind of musically and formally. Um, I, I would say the voice is mostly improvised, mm-hmm. um, although, again, you can kind of get into debates of is there such a thing as totally free improvisation? Well, maybe not. In my case, I have a bank of techniques. I have sort of a repertoire that I turn to um, – But I would say they're kind of in dialogue. There's some of both.
0: Mm -hmm. And when you say that the patch is kind of telling you what you can do, what do do you mean by that?
1: Um, Well, you'll hear there's like a rhythmic kick. There's some looping capability as well as the granulation capability we talked about and some synthesis. Um, I think... I think I often tend to start with granulation. Now, this is in the middle, so you won't hear it that uh-huh. way. Um, but I have this kind of way I progress through it because I need to... Um, well, for instance, it's all live samples going into granulation. So I have to vocalize first in order to feed it. Right. Um, I can't really... I mean, I could start with synthesis, but I can't start with the sound of granulation. Um, and I kind of like to start with voice. I guess you'll kind of get that in this, that it's kind of like slow and um I don't want to say plotting but kind of piecemeal at first Mm -hmm. and then kind of builds up
0: okay I mean you've been as I said you've been doing quite a lot of work in terms of writing and researching voice and live electronics and in one of your papers you talked about composed liveness can you kind of can you kind of unpack that a little bit
1: so what I was thinking about there, um, this was an earlier version of the same granulation patch, and I was using the abacus, an earlier version as well at the time. Um, and I was kind of thinking about how to rope live samples into the patch, how to make the electronics and the live voice in dialogue. Um, but the way I was doing it in the patch at the time, it just took forever to get to the granulation. I had to like define all the parameters by hand, and then I had to kind of loop it. It was just really convoluted. Mm-hmm. I hadn't. You know, and it's kind of a patch design, streamlining kind of question, but um, it it basically it started to not feel live because I would vocalize, and then it took like a matter of minutes to build up this kind of thick, dense, rich texture that I wanted in the electronics, um, and that felt totally abstracted from the live vocalization I had done by then. So I started using pre-recorded samples from my home studio. Um, but then I, or I would, um, record in samples right before the show started, but then I started to ask, is that really live if if it's from a vocalization that's not in the moment? I mean, I think that's, you know, not to paint with too, too broad of strokes, but, um, you know, the kind of in the momentness feel of voice, I think is one of the most compelling parts of it. And I didn't want to lose that just because I was trying to work with the technology, um, so I've did that that was one major impetus to develop kind of a faster way to get to granulation and a more kind of um, intuitive and natural way of interacting.
0: You know, when we listen to kind of fixed media pieces, we're we're constantly like playing the identification game, you know, because every every sound is possible from the start. But when you put a performer up on stage, that kind of listening mode. Changes and we're so focused on the performer. And I have to say, I've seen so many of these types of pieces kind of fall flat because we're watching kind of an uninteresting or non dynamic performer, which is usually the composer, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why is that? And it's because it's because notation, it's so hard to translate. You know these types of pieces into notation a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, in 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 your case, you're using these like tiny mouth sounds. You know how do you how do you convey that? And and I mean, you it, it, are are any of these pieces notated at all? Like, could you give this to someone else?
1: Oh, Rob, I don't even try. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. I in I have tried. Um, and I concluded pretty quickly that sort of Western staff notation was not equal to the task. Yeah. Um, I mean, people have done it. If you think of like barrio, um, there there are right. ways to put it on a page. I mean, so it it is possible. I guess I'm saying for me, it didn't feel like it fit the techniques I was doing, and maybe <laughs> maybe also I'm saying that um, I would rather spend my time vocalizing and patching than notating. It was always like...
0: All of us would.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, there's no judgment in that, but the notation was always after the fact. It was always retrospective, and it felt like it it didn't feel like a good use of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's a good question. I haven't attempted to give either the abacus or the patch or these kind of techniques to anybody else. I have taught these techniques recently to a group of students. Um, but I emphasize that it's very personalized. Like sure. everybody can do different things. I uh-huh. really believe that. Um, and a lot of probably like traditionally or Belcanto trained singers wouldn't feel comfortable doing like, <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> for yeah. Really str- a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I will because I can physically feel it and I know my limits and whatnot. But um, it's it's something to explore. I'm kind of curious. I think if I were to give it to somebody else, I, I wouldn't want it to just be like one of these show up on the day of the performance oh, and God, see yeah. how it goes. But more like a long term collaboration with somebody. I think that could be cool.
0: I mean, this kind of like I, I, I was thinking about this. It kind of puts you in the same place or the same um, general space as like. And I know you wrote about her, uh, Imogen Heap and um, mm. and also Bjork, in a way, because I feel like both of those artists, they are doing stuff that is definitely towing the line between a lot of a lot of different things. And you think like, oh my God, you know, I would it would be amazing if these pieces were available. To anyone else to do but the fact is it's just they're not you know Bjork is a singular artist Imogen Heap is a singular artist and they mm-hmm. they do what they do so yeah it's it, it's interesting because you you're definitely in the world where you know the the pieces can be transferable to other performers
1: yeah that, well, first of all, thank you. I love Imogen Heap and Bjork, and to be con- likened to them in any way is just a huge <laughs> honor. Um, yeah, it's totally interesting. I think about it as um, sort of a question of labor and division of labor mm-hmm. or not. Um, often in pop music, we get a producer is one person, usually a man. A vocalist is somebody else, kind of like stereotypically a woman. Um And I like people who vocalize and run their own technology. Mm -hmm. Bjork has spoken about this, how women are not kind of credited as producers often. But I think we have this growing category, even in kind of the pop um, imaginary of like a producer vocalist kind of person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's um, becoming more and more a thing. So in a way, it's kind of going toward, as I see it, um, kind of personalization and specialization um, similarly, people have asked me, would I, you know, why don't I post schematics for the abacus? Um, well, I'm not trying to hide it. I would teach you how to do it, but I'd much rather, you know, I'd, I'd gladly share the skills with you, but I'd, I'd rather you kind of develop something that fits your own creative practice. Right. So while I'm happy to, you know, while I'm happy to share the patch or the vocal techniques, it's not going to sound well with everybody or stuff that sounds good for others won't work for me. mm mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd like to, I mean, I, I enjoy being a composer performer type of person. I'd like to encourage more specialization in that way. Mm -hmm.
0: Is virtuosity an element in these pieces, either, either in the vocal part or the electronic part? And, and how do you think about virtuosity?
1: It's such a good question. Um, part of me, this is kind of like a, a, well, I should say a big part of me Com- thinks of like sort of a almost a punk ideal of mm-hmm. kind of non-virtuosity right, um, or rejection of virtuosity. Um, I think there's something also in experimental music and kind of a Cajun tradition of um, kind of non-assessment of what's happening with yourself as you're making sound. I mean, you check in, but you don't judge it. Um, so if you're not kind of assessing or or judging the quality of one's sound output. It's hard to talk about virtuosity. They're kind of non-compatible. Um, I do sometimes, if I feel like I'm losing an audience, I kind of will will belt or sing in a kind of recognizable bel canto way. Because mm-hmm. um, I know afterwards that I'll get comments like, oh, well, I was kind of weirded out, but then I realized you had chops. So then I kind of tuned in more. Right. So it can be a way um you know used knowingly it can kind of be a way to like snap people back into it or give something give people something to hang their hat on um kind of another access point kind of a knowing like still fourth wall breaking but yeah
0: yeah, because I mean, I, I would assume that the uh, the critique of audience members will like, oh, I can do that until you get to that place. But the fact is they can't do that because I, I actually think that virtuosity does play into this. It's just that it's not our traditional definition of virtuosity. You know, what you're doing with like kind of... Um, Well, the example you gave before where you were kind of like almost squeaking at the top of your at the top of your range and like cutting Mm -hmm. off, that is really hard to do, you know, and it's not not, like support. Yeah, 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 exactly. So these are these are techniques that aren't represented traditionally, but still they're really, really hard to do. And I think that that this also comes into play of why, like uh, maybe another reason why these pieces are very personal and for and for you is because it's like like you say you know a body uh, one body can only do so much
1: you know it's it's interesting sometimes that kind of um jackson pollock argument flashes through my Mm -hmm. mind like the drip paintings and the i it's i i'd say it's pretty much been debunked by now but a lot of the kind of common reaction is like oh any five-year-old could have done that um (laughs) yeah Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of evolving on my position on this. I mean, I guess I'm I'm at the point where, kind of novelty, doesn't do it for me. Like, to say it's virtuosic and to say it's skilled, yes, of course. Or to say like maybe these sounds haven't been put together in this precise combination before, they're totally novel. Yes, okay. Um,
0: but that doesn't I'm doing matter this
1: because I. I not to me. Yeah. I th- I'm doing this because I really enjoy it and it sounds well to me. I think if I had no audience, I would still be doing this like in a studio or in my room at home just for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would think differently about how I like released music. I wouldn't release music, I guess, if nobody liked it or wanted to listen to it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would still be doing this on my own, even if there were no audience for it. So I'm kind of like... I don't want to say who cares if you listen. Sure, okay, you're know. right, of course. But. <laughs> but I can't Yeah, I do care. But um, yeah, if somebody, I'm kind. Of, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of unbothered by it. If somebody thinks I'm virtuosic, great. If not, oh well. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. It's not. It's not the point. So uh, let's listen to this. So this is, of course, you singing and uh, with with live electronics. And this is Espace de Arts sans Frontières." For this next piece for soloist and any number of musicians is this also you singing
1: um the recording i sent you i am singing i'm a backup singer okay. i'm singing as part of the ensemble uh-huh. um, which was the uh, university of virginia new music ensemble um the soloist is uh amazing composer counter tenor um all-around wizard paul botello um who teaches at bucknell in pennsylvania
0: yeah he's amazing Um, yeah (laughs) so this piece uh, I I looked at your website and the only description of it is text as lyrics and as instructions so all the ensemble members are responding to the same text and interpreting it in their own way
1: right so it is a text score Um, I may have this memorized it says soloist begin vocally improvise on the italicized text below and then it says others listen, if you hear that one italicized condition is true, you may enact in any way any of the other conditions or from the other column, There are in two columns. Um, and so these conditions are kind of poetic. Um, some of them are, you know, you can kind of extrapolate them easily to sound such as um, babbling, bellowing, um, but others are, more abstract and harder to connect to sound um one that people (laughs) sometimes hate is um arm being underneath the quiet so the vocalist over top you'll hear paul botello doing this kind of they can kind of do whatever they want Mm -hmm. and it's actually not specified in the score they often do but the solo vocalist doesn't technically have to listen to the rest of the ensemble um they can kind of just be totally freewheeling if they want Mm -hmm. Um, But then the ensemble, if they hear from the soloist or another ensemble member some kind of what they interpret as enactment of one of the the verbal conditions, then they enact a verbal condition. So it's a lot about, again, it's kind of this creation of a sound possibility space. Uh Um, It's a lot about um, choosing artfully when you hear something to be true. Um, then from there, you can decide whether or not to play and then how to enact one of these, you know, fairly abstract verbal conditions.
0: So I'm going to say two names that I think are relevant. Um, John Cage and Pauline Oliveros, but I'm guessing there are probably a few others.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: So who, who would they be?
1: Well, around the time I was writing this piece, I was thinking a lot about text scores. Um, There's a great compilation called Word Events, edited by Lely and Saunders, and they have a really great um, kind of exposition detailing the types of language that can happen in text scores, but then a whole um, compilation of a whole bunch of different people. Um, So I'm thinking a lot about Vondelweiser. I'm thinking about um, Pissarro, Bouget... Um, Barrett Um, yeah I mean those are some of the few to start with Um, Jennifer Walsh Um, yeah a lot of these people have really amazing text-based work Um, I mean even going back to Yoko Ono's Grapefruit Mm -hmm. or um, Brecht Water Yam Um, so I thought a lot about so these kind of main things that are lyrics for the you know roughly for the solo vocalist and instructions for the ensemble um they're all kind of progressive tense like arm being underneath the quiet um or these kind of gerund configurations or uh, like babbling uh-huh. um so i really thought a lot about um setting the mood that it's kind of already happening and you're just kind of slotting into something that's kind of already in the sonic environment um, as I studied text scores, I did conclude that a lot of them—and you're right to bring up Cage and Oliveros—a lot of the text scores um, that are out there have much to do with listening to the sounds that are already happening around you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they're as they are responding to this, you you basically give them uh, the the instrumentalists or or the other musicians in the ensemble as they're responding to these uh, to these lines of text, which. I'm assuming you, you everything the entire text is written by you. Yep. Do you write poetry as well?
1: Um, I used to. I've gotten away from it a little bit. Um, yeah. I have a conflicted relationship with songwriter mode. I wish yeah. I were better at it. I'm just, it's just not my strength. You <laughs> <Me> know, <too. laughs> in my infinite free time, I'll develop that skill. Um. I did though. I and I kind of culled them. I some of them were from before and some of them were kind of written specifically for this. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, kind of a almost a found text kind of approach except doing it myself.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yes. I, I as I used to write poetry as well and then I cool. stopped <laughs> because I was way better at writing music than writing words.
1: <laughs> yeah, because life.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly, because life. But the musicians are responding to these lines of text and Do you give any other instructions in terms of like a range of expression or do you work with them in rehearsal or is this kind of completely out of your hands once you give them the text score?
1: Yeah, this is, um, there's nothing else on the page. There is some kind of almost oral tradition of work in the rehearsal. Um, I don't think there's ever been a performance of this. There have been four performances now. I've been privy to all of them. Uh Um, So in two of them, Paul was the soloist and I was singing in the ensemble. And then the other two, I was the soloist. Um, It just happened recently. It was performed by the, oh, shout out, amazing Verdant Vibes Ensemble Uh um, here in Providence. Um, And let me see, what were the forces on that? Um, So myself on voice, violin, um, acoustic bass, electric guitar, um, percussion and electronics, uh, bass clarinet, and cello. Um, So kind of a cool mixed ensemble. And we decided in rehearsal that it would be effective if they, kind of the structure was that everybody had a partner. Uh So everybody could mainly listen to their partner or to me. And that kind of gave us a little bit of definition When I've done this in a trio version, we just we only did it for like four minutes and we just kind of did a free for all. Um, So it does vary by context. Basically, I would say in the larger ensemble settings, there starts to need to be some kind of structure. So we kind of hash that out in rehearsal usually.
0: So it's kind of like creating a game.
1: Yeah, totally. I like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I ask because so often classical instrumentalists, when they're asked to improvise. And I mean that's the they they are responding but how they respond is improvised, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: A, you know, we we all know this. That a lot of them just re- kind of retreat to the most common techniques or or maybe what they feel are expected as new music techniques like key clicks and multiphonics and stuff and they and too often they kind of play without listening. Mm-hmm. Um and that, and that seems like it's a it's a big element of this like you li- listening is as much a part of this piece as is playing
1: yeah totally that was that was my thinking in putting that's that's what the instructions for the others are the first thing it says for them is listen um and then respond right so you're totally right i wouldn't give this to just any old ensemble and it's perfectly fine if you don't want to improvise that's not everybody's um bag, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've been fortunate to, you know, kind of connect with good people on this. Um, yeah, what is it about that? Oh, I was going to say that um, different people have different responses to how improvised this feels. Mm-hmm. I, I do think of it, again, kind of somewhere on the spectrum between composition and improvisation. Um, I mean, I've composed a structure kind of Um, with the words yeah yeah or a game as you say Mm -hmm. and they kind of have to fit within that um some people feel like they're pretty much totally improvising others feel like no if there's a page in front of me then it's not you know total improvisation there's something i have to um either way is
0: maybe improvisation is not the right word maybe just aleatory
1: yeah yeah um yeah so to me do you know that um you know, now famous uh, article by George Lewis, "Improvised Music After 1950," where he talks about um, Afrocentric and Eurocentric <laughs> approaches, and Eurological and Afrological um, I actually, ideas that have come out of this.
0: Right. I've actually I actually assigned that to my students this semester. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's such
1: an important um, thing to think about. Um, I think that it's it's a totally interesting question, and I'm not sure. I I just don't know how that fits with this piece. I think it's interesting to think about. I I hadn't thought about it as aleatoric, but because I didn't use any kind of chance operations. Sure. Um although I sometimes do in other pieces, I didn't for this. Um But there are definitely uh, But there are definitely
0: you- things that are left un- unspecified, you know.
1: That's true, and you could. The performers totally could realize it aleatorically. Like if they think they hear one condition, they roll a die to choose which one they mm-hmm. enact.
0: But I don't. But I don't really. Th- I mean, you know, like, but just by responding to a line of text, you, they are they they are uh, reacting aleatorically because you d- like they don't know what they'll do, and you don't know what they'll do until they do it. Right.
1: It's true. Um, and in this way, it feels like an improvised piece because the kind of form of it, where it goes, like when I performed it with Verdant the other night, it was, I felt it went really well, but it was kind of surprising and unexpected in a cool way. Um, yeah, the soloist, like I mentioned before, doesn't technically have to listen to uh-huh. the rest of the ensemble, but I do. I mean, I, I like to be in, in dialogue with them in that way, and since I am listening to them, You're totally right. There will be unpredictable stuff there.
0: Well, I think that's kind of one of the one of the values for the composer of a of of chance or aleatory or improvisation or whatever, is that when I have my pieces that either are either completely aleatoric or, you know, use some elements of it, I get to be an audience member again.
1: Isn't it exciting?
0: <laughs> I know. I don't know what's going to happen. And when something does, I get that, I still get that kind of sparkle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You totally. Know,
0: the, like, the, I, I have this piece that is for uh, string quartet and network laptops, and it's all, it's, it's completely aleatoric with um, notation that uh, keeps getting uh, regenerated. And there was, we, we did it with uh, dance. And on the third, you know, we did this four nights, and each night was vastly different i mean the form of the piece stayed the same but you know the the details were changing but on the on the last night we there was this like really quiet moment and then there was a big change in the choreography and the and the the violin the violins and the viola they all broke out to an octave and i'm like oh my god that's amazing (laughs) like it 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 seemed like it was composed yeah. but it wasn't and and that like I I still watch that um you know when I when I present this piece to other people I still watch it and I'm like that still gives me chills because I didn't do, you know I didn't expressly do that yeah and I got to and I got to be surprised by it so yeah
1: isn't that magical I love that and it, I think it all comes down to having good performers of course good musicians yeah. who can really make mm-hmm. that happen um I think if if there is this kind of relationship of trust between yourself and the other musicians, whether you're performing or not with them, um, yeah, stuff can really happen in a kind of magical yeah. and yeah, very unexpected way. And it's almost um, it it kind of defies logic in a way. I don't I would I don't want to say that that stuff couldn't have been composed, but maybe you wouldn't have thought to do that there. Uh, well,
0: exactly. Yeah. And 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 yeah, That I mean, that's I think that a lot of times that's why myself as a composer, I go to either aleatoric process or procedures or or a little bit of improvisation because it's like, yeah, I know how I would write this, but I it's like I want something better. Yeah. You know yeah. that 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 even like the notation will get in the way of writing something better you know you're you don't have to uh have them like woodshed all these impossible rhythmic combinations and and pitch possibilities you just give them the space and they'll do it if you as you say though if you have the right musicians this is why that's that's so important this
1: is one of the many reasons why i push back against the note the notion of the composer genius like
0: yeah yeah definitely as
1: the composer is sitting in their studio or wherever it's kind of like you know stuff can happen gears are turning but it's not as inspired an environment as a performance can be Mm -hmm. so to kind of let go of the reins can be as a composer can be a really powerful gesture composer doesn't have to mean just like you know fixing everything in advance
0: So let's listen to this piece. This is for solo and any number of musicians. And you said the soloist on this was Paul Botello. That's right. And who's the ensemble?
1: The University of Virginia New Music Ensemble.
2: Thank you. Cook
0: So let's talk about this piece of yours for electric guitar quartet called Pogpo. Um, and this is uh, a, little, a little bit of an older piece from 2012. And uh, this is also the Dither Quartet, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I think this is the second time we featured the Dither Quartet um, on the podcast. Oh, right on. They're awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We had them, uh, I think, a recording of Amanda Fury's uh, guitar quartet uh, when she was cool. on. But um, what's kind of driving this piece?
1: Okay, so I am really interested in Korean pansori, which is a traditional, I'll put that in quotes, I'll come back to that, traditional Korean style consisting of a vocalist um at most, declaiming you know hours long epic poems. Often they're excerpted, um, but it's just the vocalist and a percussionist accompanying. Um, and so, one of the things about pansori is that um, what's valued vocally is really expressive, often rough, um, gravelly timbres. and they do that um, partly to convey different characters in the narrative mm-hmm. of the story they're singing. Um, so, in the traditional days, um, to become a master pansori singer, once you kind of had, I don't know, studied the basics, you would move out into the forest, you know, maybe abandon your job and your family and go all in for the pansori study, move out into the forest, live by a waterfall, and sing, scream into it for like 6, 8, 12 hours a day to roughen and callous your vocal folds in order to get that rough, rich, nuanced sound. Oh, wow. Um, And so Waterfall is Pogpo in Korean, so that's why the title of this piece. Um, So I knew I was writing a piece for electric guitars. In some way or other, I wanted to kind of get from point A, pansori, voice and percussion, to point B, electric guitar quartet. Um, So I, I treated it as kind of layered Um, guitar, three of the guitar parts I think of as vocalists and one um, is doing mostly kind of muted um, strings and kind of slaps and hits. Um, So they're kind of acting as the percussionist. Mm -hmm. Um, So the score is um, the rhythm is precisely notated. It's in 12, eight. It's just kind of regular um, Western notation. Um, the pitch, though, is not on a staff. It's a system of colors. There are six colors, and each represents two or four possible pitch choices. So there is some redundancy within the 12-pitch um, chromatic scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for each color, each note head, basically, they have a choice of which pitch to play, and then uh, which of you know the two or four pitches for that color. And then finally... You know, each part is just one line. And then if a note head is above the staff, you bend it sharp and below you bend it a little bit flat. So that um, was my my way of kind of paying homage to the um, many slight kind of nuanced glissandi and kind of pitch contours in the singing. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. Right. For
0: now. <laughs> um, I list. I went ahead you you have a link to uh a um a vocalist who who is a pensori vocalist on your on your website for this for this piece and i went ahead and and listened to that that is some hardcore stuff that's awesome Yeah, he's so good yeah. his
1: name is Bay il dong um he's featured so there's a movie about this it's called um intangible asset number 83 i always get the number wrong. Okay. I think it's 83 um so in the it's the Korean government has declared these intangible cultural assets they could be a genre like Pansori or they could be a person which this movie features like a particular master drummer um, who they're trying to find um, he's very elderly and they have to like find him and get access to him just to kind of interview him the movie's really interesting um, this kind of goes back to what I was saying tradition in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, So in 1963, the Korean government named Pansori an intangible cultural asset. Um, And since then, um, it's been much more rigid. What counts as Pansori? Like it has to be one of these five traditional song cycles. I think there used to be seven or eight, but only the five survived. Okay. Um, and so people are doing like Star Wars pansori and modern, but it kind of is sort of illicit. Like it kind of doesn't count even though it's still kind of the same vocal and drum style. Um, and so that has, to me, I find that really interesting, this debate about what constitutes tradition. Like when you, when the government kind of declares it, does that sort of ossify it and fix it or should tradition rather be kind of a living, breathing thing, so um, I like to kind of put that as a disclaimer. Yes, I'm a white lady writing, like, pansori-based music. Mm-hmm. I have no Korean heritage. Um, but I feel better about this because there already is a debate about what constitutes pansori. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of fitting. I, I would call it, like, pansori fan fiction. <laughs> um, nice. Nice. <laughs>
0: I mean, I wanted. To, I I just, I just want to play a little excerpt of that um, uh, of that uh, video that you have posted on your website, just oh, just sure, so yeah, yeah. people can can kind of get what what this is. So we'll listen yeah. to that right now. <laughs>
2: 오, 예, 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 Oh
0: Yeah, that's like that's hardcore. That's Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. It um there it I mean obviously that uh you know there there would be some some uh exchange and and cross-pollination, but that there, there it reminds me of um a uh a Japanese uh electronic piece. Um from like the 60s or something like that that's that's a little bit similar in a way it kind of uses but it doesn't it doesn't even come close to like the roughness of voice and that is so interesting so you uh, you know you really tried to translate that into the guitar into the guitars in this piece you know like the guitars can sound like very um they're, they're uh, I mean, it's obviously for electric guitar, but you're using some effects on the guitars, right?
1: They are kind of using effects pedals ad lib, mm. and they kind of, this was a little bit hashed out in rehearsal. We, I kind of gave them um, just verbal timbre indications mm-hmm. that I wanted, and we kind of talked, and they were like, Can I use such and such pedal in this way? Um, so we kind of talked about that. Um, but it was largely their choice. Um, in this case, unlike some of the previous pieces we've discussed today, I gave them kind of very um, circumscribed choices, mm-hmm. they, and they did like a, they did an amazing job with it. But the you know the pitch choices, although it happens every note, it's it's very it's just like two or four possible pitches, right. um, pitch classes, I should say, um, and similarly for the pedals that's kind of a narrow range of choices
0: cool so this is pogpo and this is the dither quartet performing to the last question the question that I ask all the guests on the podcast is how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life
1: my mother is a music teacher by trade um so I kind of always grew up with music in the house I sang in school choirs and the like I, but I, I guess I always thought it would be a hobby mm-hmm. and then in college I was singing in choirs again, and I thought, well, I should take some voice lessons and some music theory, just so I kind of understand this better. Um, but no, I I got sucked in. I couldn't <laughs> achieve escape velocity from <laughs> um, you know. Th- then I started thinking, well, I should take some counterpoint, and then you know, right. it just kind of became Spirals. more and more. And I really liked it. Yeah, and I really um, I was really drawn to composition. Um, those classes and lessons in particular. Um, I guess it's hard to define. I really, I just really enjoyed it. I liked, um, you know, at that, at that point, I was doing a lot of notation on the staff. I liked that system. I liked working with performers. Um, you know, I had, as an undergrad, I have a few performances and a few readings and stuff like that. And I always really enjoyed those moments. Um, and, you know, of course I've developed that practice, um, I've become more substantially a composer-performer myself, and I've I've um, tried to develop different kinds of notation and collaborations with people. Um, but I think the crux of it is still there that that joy for it. Um, every once in a while, it feels weird that I've chosen to pursue my passion for a living. Right? I, you know, yes. I wish I had that separation between work and. And enjoyment, once in a while, but, um, yeah, mostly, it feels really good to be doing what. Well,
0: right, and the and of course the 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 issue there is that you're you never stop working, like you're always working. No,
1: no, never. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day. He was like, "Do you sleep? Do composers ever sleep?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> a little. Nope. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Well, before we go, can you tell people where they can connect with you online?
1: Yeah. Um, my website is kmwarren.org. Um, my Twitter is at paraprosdokian. I'm not going to spell it. Good luck. Um, <laughs> and my Facebook is my name. And yeah, I hope to see you online or not online in yeah, person. Yeah, in
0: person. It's a thing too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it is.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this, Christina.
1: Thank you so much, Rob. This has been great.
0: Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.